What's up, everyone? Kevin here from Skywatcher, and welcome to another episode of the Skywatcher What's Up webcast. We take a look from everything, bleh, from everything from what's up in the nighttime sky to equipment to helpful tips and tricks. And of course, at the end of the month, we have a special guest on to talk about their specialty in the field of astronomy. Uh, these are usually live. Um, I would like to let everybody know that this is a pre-recorded episode because today of the airing of this episode, we're at NEAC and NEATH. Um, the Northeast Astronomy Forum is taking place this weekend, um, so this is a pre-recorded episode. Uh, if you are at NEAC or are planning to attend NEAF, uh this weekend, please come by and say hi. We'll love to talk to you guys, um, show you what's new at Skywatcher, and of course you get to see all the new goodies that have been released over the last couple of years, uh, like the CQ350 and the Star Adventure GTI, Virtuoso GTI, and all that other fun stuff. Um, we are also going to be recording at NEAF, so the following episode, next week's episode, we're going to be doing an overview episode about everything that we saw at NEAF. That's also going to be pre-recorded because it's just too much work to be able to do a live stream from NEAF and work our booth. Um, I know Astronomics in the past did an amazing job uh, doing those live streams from uh, NEAF years ago. I remember watching them religiously. But it's too much work for us to do and manage our booth at the same time. So that's going to be another pre-recorded episode next week. Um, we're doing a lot of traveling in the next couple months. So that's why some of these are going to be pre-recorded episodes. But if you like what you see here on the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video. It lets us know we're doing a good job and that we should keep going. If you have an idea for a future episode, please email us at info at skywatcherusa.com. Title it What's Up and give us the idea for a future episode. Uh, we're always looking for ideas. Uh, we do book these out by quarter. So if you don't see your episode just pop up immediately or your idea pops up immediately, don't worry. Um, we have taken it into consideration and we are getting it hopefully in the queue for a future episode. Um, so today we're going to be talking about F ratios. Uh, that's something that comes up a lot, particularly in the realm of astrophotography and photography. Um, so we're going to dig into that, understand what equipment uh, affects the F ratio and why the F ratio is particularly important. This is primarily going to be geared towards astrophotography, um, but we figured it was an episode that we could go into depth on. So first up, we're going to start by understanding F ratios. Maybe you're new to astrophotography, maybe you're new to photography in general, and you have no idea what the F and F ratio is. Um, so that's what we're going to be talking about. So what is an F ratio? That's a big question right off the bat. If you've ever gotten a telescope before, you've probably noticed that it says F slash some kind of number. That's your F ratio. This is very common on kind of a photographic lens, like on a camera. Very common on that as well. It's something that's standardly used in optics. Um, so before I jump ahead of myself. Two major things we need to know when we're talking about optics. We need to know the focal length of whatever we're talking about. The focal length is basically the distance to the focus point. So we have our lens and or mirror, um, whatever our main optic is, and then the distance from that main optic to where the image actually comes to focus. That is the focal length of whatever your optic is. Um, so the distance to the focus point. Generally, if you have a camera lens and it says like 85 millimeter, 85 millimeter is the focal length of that lens. If you have a 70 to 200 zoom, your focal length goes from 70 to 200 millimeters. 
if your telescope somewhere says f equals a thousand millimeters your focal length is a thousand millimeters somewhere on your optic somewhere whether it's a camera lens or a telescope it will list whatever the focal length is the next thing we want to know is aperture um, and in astronomy we love aperture bigger the better um, for the most part um, but aperture is basically the diameter of your main optic lens or mirror so um, that is your what is gathering all the light in our system and the bigger the aperture the more light that we get in um, but those are two major things that we need to know about our lens and or telescope to figure out what our f ratio is going to be and a lot of times us as manufacturers already list what the f ratio is but basically what an f ratio is it's the focal length of your telescope or lens divided by the aperture and that is your focal ratio um, now here's a little experiment this is our esprit 100 very popular i'm sure many of you who are watching have one of these um, so the Esprit 100, the focal length on this particular telescope is 550 millimeters and its aperture is 100 millimeter. So in order to figure out what the F ratio of the telescope is, we take our focal length, which is 550, and we divide that by the aperture, which is 100, and that equals 5.5. So our F ratio for our telescope is 5.5, or it would be listed as the ratio F slash 5.5. So that's how you figure out what the F ratio is of your telescope or lens. Now F ratios basically tell us what the speed of the optic is. The smaller the number of your F ratio, the faster the lens is or telescope. And the smaller the number, the slower the optic is. So more light, less light in the same amount of time. Now F ratios are something that you see more in photography um, because you do have variable apertures on those lenses and I'm gonna get that in a minute but um, basically your f ratio looks something like this with a camera lens you have 1.2 2.8 4 5.6 8 11 it it's all variable between there some of the fastest lenses on the market uh, for photography like the Nikon um, I think it's the Nikkor or whatever they call it, the Owl. It's like a 50 millimeter 0.95, some crazy fast lens. For Canon, it's 1.2. Sony's 1.2. That's usually the F ratio or the aperture, as they call it in photography. Um, but the F ratio is mainly important for photography, not so much for visual work. Uh, visual work... If you're doing visual it's it's not a big deal um, because generally you're looking for whatever the focal length is going to be usually the lower or the larger the number on the f ratio like let's say it's an f15 like our 180 Mac um, our sky max 180 is f15 it's a very long it's a very big f ratio very long focal length instrument with a very small aperture so the images could be kind of dim um, but for the most part, we don't really worry too much about what the F ratio is going to be when we're talking about a visual instrument. Um, we're really talking about this more from a photographic sense. So F ratios generally represent the aperture for photography. Um, the reason why you kind of use an F ratio more from a photographic sense 
say like a camera lens is a lot of camera lenses on the market have variable apertures. They have an iris built inside of them, which allows you to actually adjust the aperture of the lens. So the two lenses that you see here on the screen, these are Canon RF 50 and 85 L lenses. They're both F 1.2s. So very bright lenses. Now they have irises inside of them that can adjust them down to F 16 or whatever. I don't know how far they go down, but they, you can vary the lenses aperture from F 1.2 all the way down to, like I said, F 16 or whatever the iris allows it to go and everything in between. So, it's easier photographically when you're talking about a camera lens to use an F ratio to list your aperture because it's varying. In astronomy, our apertures don't really change. Um, the physical aperture of the telescope is pretty much stuck. Um, you can There's ways that you can adjust it, but like if you have an eight inch telescope, the aperture is eight inch and there's not a lot of variable inside of that. So a lot of times in astronomy, we don't use the F ratio so much to list the aperture. Um, like a camera lens would be listed. We talk, it's an 80 millimeter or it's an eight inch or it's a 10 inch. We just talk about the physical aperture of the telescope. Um, that's because telescopes have a fixed aperture where a camera lenses don't. Um, so that's really kind of how an F ratio works um, at that point. So let me kind of dig into that a little bit further if that's a little bit confusing. Um, so in astronomy or photography at all, faster optics are going to allow you to collect more light in less time. If you have a telescope, let's say you have like a Rasa 11 or a Rasa 8. Every, a ton of people have Rasa 8s. These are 8-inch F2 telescopes um, as opposed to let's say like an 8-inch Edge HD from Celestron. So two 8-inch telescopes from Celestron. One's F2, one's F10 native. The Rasa, 11, the Rasa being at F2 is shooting phenomenally faster. Um, and when you have a faster telescope with the F ratio being faster, it means your exposures are going to be less or you're getting more in less time. So that means less demanding on your mount and easier on your auto guider because you're not having to take long exposures anymore because your telescope is getting so much data in such a short amount of time. That's the advantage of having a faster telescope. There's other advantages too, which we can get into. Um, telescopes can have the same focal length, but different F ratios. So the ratio is all built on, like I said, the physical aperture and the focal length of the telescope, but the focal length can stay the same. So here's an example. We have two optics right here. Let's say they're both 600 millimeter in focal length. So we have an F10. That's 600 millimeters in focal length. Let's say it's like a six inch Schmidt Cassegrain. That's, um, no, that wouldn't work because that'd be 1500 millimeters. It's like a refractor. So we have a 600 millimeter focal length refractor. That's F10. And then we have a six inch Newtonian. That's F4. The Newtonian is still 600 millimeter focal length and the, the refractor is still six. It doesn't matter the design. Both optics are still 600 millimeters in focal length. So their image scales are going to be the exact same. However, this guy over here on the left is F10. 
and this guy over here on the right is f4. So they're both the same focal length. They both have the same field of view. Like if you if we're using the same camera, let's say the same cameras on each telescope, they both have the same focal length, which means their image scale is going to be the same. They both have the same field of view, assuming you're using the same size camera. But the speed is different. And what I mean by speed is how much data can you get in a certain amount of time? So the F4 optic you see there on the right is 6.3 times faster. Now, how did I figure that out? So we have an app and she, we, sorry, get too much going on. We have an app that is available and it's called uh, Scope Wizard. There's our app right there. It's available for Android and iOS. Um, and we have a speed difference calculator um, right down here, speed difference. Boop. And when we press that, that brings us into there. And you can put in the F ratios of various telescopes and you can actually see how big of a difference it's gonna be. So plugging that into our little calculator, an F4 telescope is 6.3 times faster than the, 10, the F10. What does that actually give us in reality? Good question. So at 60 seconds at F4, if you want to achieve the same amount of data or the same amount of detail that you get at 60 seconds at F4, you would have to do 378 seconds at F10. So what you can do at F4 in 60 seconds is equivalent to nearly six minutes at F10. So that's a big difference. If you're on your mount in your backyard and you're imaging some target, would you rather shoot 60 second exposures or would you rather shoot six minute exposures? Roughly five, a little over five minutes. I guess that would be six minutes actually, somewhere in there. You'd probably want to do the shorter exposures because by doing shorter exposures, it means you're not as prone to guiding issues or changing in atmospheric uh, issues or maybe your mount it gets bumped or something like that. Shorter exposures are going to be less taxing and less demanding from your mount and your guiding system because you're getting more done in less time. So that's the advantage of knowing an F ratio because a faster optic is going to be able to collect that data in far less time than a slower optic. And obviously this is going to depend on what we're comparing. So if you're comparing like F5 to F4, we could actually do that really quick. Um, let's see, F5, you're talking about 1.6 times. So 60% more at F4. So even from F5 to F4, you're just talking about a 60% jump. That's pretty good. Um, so that's something to think about. Uh, and there's all kinds of stuff that you can do um, with various uh, telescopes and optics on the market. But ultimately, if you're trying to get stuff done in your backyard or maybe you're limited on time, maybe you're going out to a dark sky site you don't have a lot of time to go out and enjoy the hobby and you want to get as much done as possible. A faster optical instrument is going to allow you to achieve more data in less time. So you can get a lot more done 
in a weekend or an evening than you would if you're shooting like f7 or f8 or f10 um but what's the catch because everything in optics everything comes as a compromise uh faster isn't always going to be better there are complications that can occur when you have these very fast instruments especially because there's a lot of modern day stuff that's pushing into that sub f3 Usually F3 to F4, that's very fast, especially when you're talking about a modern camera like a 533, a 571-based camera. I'm talking sensors here. Um, a 571 is basically a 2600 from the ZWO line. Then you have the 455, um, which is basically a ZWO 6200 or a QHY 600. Um, all these are like 85, 90 QE sensors they're incredibly sensitive sensors very clean so you can get a lot done with a modern day sensor but having a fast optic on top of that allows you to get even more throughput but we need to pay attention to that um, so when you have a faster optic some things start to become more difficult number one focus can be more difficult why at a longer focal length your light cone is very stretched out. It's not too extreme. Uh, the cone is very, you know, it's kind of somewhat parallel. Um, it's not this extreme, you know, curve, curve, edge, whatever. Um, but as the focal length decreases, the light cone becomes more steep. And as the light cone becomes more steep, it becomes harder to focus because your focus point, that point is a lot wider than it would be at a narrower, um, less ridiculous light cone. So F10, your light cone is like this. It's not too crazy. And your window that you have to focus, that focus point is pretty, it's not crazy. It's not very wide. But when we get to like F4 and F2 and these really fast ones, the cone is so steep that that point of focus is very thin you don't have a lot of room to nail focus and it can be difficult so you need a very good focuser something that's very precise because as that cone gets more steep it becomes much more critical to achieve that focus and it becomes a lot harder to achieve that focus point so if you're using something like a hyperstar or a rasa that F2 speed is amazing when it comes to data acquisition, but when it comes to focusing the instrument, you have to be very precise about it. It's not impossible, and there's a lot of good motor focusers, or you could use a Bantenoff mask and do it manually. There are ways to do it, but it's something that you really need to pay attention to because your window of focus on a very fast instrument like a Hyperstar or Rasa is very narrow as opposed to like an F7 refractor, like an Esprit or an Evostar or any refractor for that matter, you're not using some crazy F2 light cone. You're probably F7 or F6, much more forgiving uh, instrument to work with, but it's not as fast. So there's your trade-off there. When it comes to focus, it can be more difficult. Collimation, that's another thing that can be very difficult. For those who don't know what collimation is, collimation is the alignment of your optics. Now, if we're talking refractors, eh, you probably don't have to mess with it too much. But when we're talking reflector type instruments like a Schmidt-Cassegrain or Newtonian or some exotic design, 
especially when we make them faster, collimation can be more critical. Not necessarily harder, but it's it becomes more critical that they're aligned correctly because there's not a lot of, of variation that you can work with when you're collimating something that's F3 or F2 that has to be very spot on. If you're doing something that's like F5, even F4 is very forgiving for the most point. If we're talking F10, there's a lot of people who own Schmidt Cassegrains. Most Schmidt Cassegrains on the market are F10. There's a lot of people who don't even pay attention that the telescope is actually at a collimation. Um, I've seen it a lot of times. Most owners of a Schmidt Cassegrain probably don't know that their telescope is not quite collimated. Um, and when you adjust it, you'll probably notice the difference. But because it's F10, the difference between collimated and not collimated is much less noticeable. Whereas like a Newtonian, like if you have a Dobsonian or something like that, it becomes more noticeable. The stars look weird because they're not collimated correctly. Um, and then the faster that instrument gets, if you're out of collimation, your stars start to look really trippy and it needs to be addressed. And if the telescope is designed well, even if it's fast, it will hold collimation pretty well. So most modern day telescopes that are very fast, and what I mean by fast is probably under F4 at this point. Those generally have been engineered and designed to be very accommodating of that really fast optical system because the designers also know that because this telescope is so fast, it needs to be able to maintain the alignment of those optics under temperature change, under travel, just under general use. And every now and again, you're probably going to have to adjust it, especially if you have like a quattro Newtonian or any kind of Newtonian. Just get yourself a nice laser collimator. No big deal. Good collimation tools will make collimation very easy. It's not scary. Um, I have a 28-inch F3.3 Dobsonian. That's extremely fast for a 28-inch mirror. Um, there's a lot of people out there. If you go online and be like, oh my goodness, it's so hard to collimate. It really isn't. My job is no harder to collimate than any of the Skywatcher Dobsonians. It's not because I got the mirror cell from a very reputable, uh, from new moon. It's engineered very well. The secondary assembly is engineered very well. And those cells that hold the optical elements are designed well enough to where they keep the alignment very close and I have a nice laser collimator I'm done in like five minutes or less it's no harder than collimating any one of the Skywatcher Newtonians it's not difficult at all so anybody who says that a faster optical instrument is more difficult it's not what should be stated is that collimating a faster optical uh, instrument is more critical. It's more critical that you hit that collimation point and make sure your optics are aligned and then go use it to get your best images. That's all that's really going on. It's just more critical. You just have to pay a little bit more attention, but if you have good collimation tools and you practice and so you know what you're doing, it's really not that scary and you're only a few minutes and you're done. Now, one of the big factors, however, of fast optics is filters. Um, filters can be a concern when we start using these faster instruments. Um, nowadays, 
that's less and less of a hassle. Um, faster optics generally require specialized filters. These are things that have more recently come out over the last few years. These are filters, and we're particularly we're talking about narrow band filters. Because the problem with a narrow band filter is if you get them too narrow, let's say three nanometers, which is like the ultimate right now, um, it will start to clip. The light cone is so steep. If you remember back when looking at light cones, the light cone is so steep that when it hits the filter, it actually shifts the band pass of the light that's coming in. So if you have, if you just spent a ton of money on three nanometer filters, cause they are expensive. Odds are the light is not running through that filter at the full three nanometers. It's probably shifted a bit. And if this is, if you're using like F3 or F2, it's just the filter is so narrow on what it lets through. And the cone is so steep that it basically clips off a portion of the light cone and this causes really weird artifacts and you're not actually utilizing the filter in the best way possible now there are modern day filters the that are specialized for faster f ratios where they're shifted a little bit to accommodate that light cone being more steep so modern day stuff this isn't as big of a deal anymore but you end up having to buy specialized filters to accommodate that steeper light cone. And usually this doesn't become too much of an issue if you are F4 and above. It's not a big deal. You can use anything that you want for the most part, three nanometer all the way up to whatever they make. Um, use whatever you want. Under F4, if you wanna do narrow band stuff, you're probably gonna be limited to about five nanometers, which is still awfully good. Um, seven nanometers is probably a little bit better, um, for faster stuff, or you're going to be going to a specialized set of filters. And if you only have one telescope that you're imaging with and it's really fast, let's say you're using a Rasa or something quick, um, maybe you investing in a faster set of filters, the, a filter set that accommodates a narrow band filter set that accommodates the fast F ratios. That's not really a big deal too much. But if you have multiple instruments and multiple focal lengths and some of them aren't fast, it might be more difficult because now you have a specialized set for one telescope and a standard set for another. That gets pretty spendy, especially when we're talking narrow band filters for modern cameras, like two inch filters, those get expensive. Um, so that's something you have to pay attention to also when you're talking about faster optics is you're going to have to pay more attention to what filters you're going to use if we're talking about um, narrow band filters. There are options out there. It's just, you have to pay attention to it because it will, it can be a problem. And maybe you're not getting your best results, um, as well. Now in telescopes, I did say earlier, most telescopes pretty much are a fixed aperture. Whatever your F ratio is, is what it is. And a Spree 150 is F7. We don't have an iris in there to change it. There's no aperture mask. You can make one and drop it down. But there's no way to really, there's no iris inside of our telescopes. Or most telescopes don't have any kind of iris to effectively change the aperture of the telescope like a camera lens does. So 
If you want to change the F ratio on your telescope, you have to use additional optics to make that happen. Now, there are two things that we can do, um, but the F ratio can be changed, I already said this, with the addition of an extender or a reducer. Um, those of you who do astrophotography, I'm sure you're very familiar with reducers already. Extenders are also out there for various types of astronomy um, purposes. So extenders, I'm sure you figured that that increases the F ratio and the focal length. And that's, uh, we're usually talking about like Barlow lenses or extenders or the Teleview power mates or whatever the case may be. But there are um, additional optics out there that you just pop on the back of the telescope and it allows you to change the focal length, which in, at that point changes the F ratio because the focal length has increased. So extending the F ratio, usually this is what our light cone looks like. We have incoming light going through the lens or the mirror, wherever it is. Incoming light is moving its way to the focus point. Now for an extender, basically what we're going to do is we're going to put this lens in there, a Barlow lens or a specifically designed extender or a Teleview PowerMate, or whatever, whoever makes it, whatever their name is. Usually that pops inside the focuser, and there's some lenses inside of there. The designs may vary, but we pop this in the focuser, and usually it uses a diverging lens. So what that does is it captures the incoming light cone, and then adjusts it to pushes it further out to the new focus point, extending the focal length of the instrument. So our original light cone was here now it's pushed out to there so we've extended the focal length which in, and then extends the f ratio so if we have a f5 telescope let's say it's 500 millimeters let's say you have a four inch refractor that's 500 millimeter focal length and you bought a barlow lens a 2x barlow lens you pop that in there that suddenly changes it to an, a four inch f10 because the 2x is doubling the focal length. So the 500 now becomes 1,000 millimeters. And because we're still at 4-inch aperture, at 1,000 millimeters, that puts it as f10. <clears throat> so we've extended the focal length. So increasing the f ratio, there is stuff that can happen. One, you're going to dim the image because it's drawing that light out further. This is also going to increase the exposure time. Um, so if you're needing shorter exposures, if you have a shorter exposures and then you put an extender in, it's going to increase the amount of exposure time to get the same amount of light. But the big thing that you would generally extend the focal length of an instrument for astronomy is probably to increase the image scale of an object, particularly the moon, the sun with the proper filters, or a planet. The nice thing about all of these particular things is the things that we're trying to blow up and get more image scale on are generally pretty bright. Planets, bright. Moon, bright. Sun, incredibly bright to the point where we need a filter, special filters. But if you want to increase the size of like a planet, because planets are actually pretty small, um, you want to increase that so it takes up more of your uh, camera sensor frame you need to use an extender or a Barlow or whatever the case may be to increase the focal length and blow the image scale up more. 
that does affect the overall F ratio. That also makes the light less steep and more parallel, which can help with some rear mounted filters like a Daystar. Now, <coughs> excuse me. Um, most extenders, Barlows, whatever the heck they want to call them, there's a wide variety of magnification factors that are available on the market. There's 1.8x I've seen. 2x is the most common. And quite frankly, it's about as much as you need. Uh, there are 2.5, 3, 4, 5x. There's all kinds of extenders out there and available. But it really kind of just depends on what you are ultimately trying to achieve at the telescope. So if you're shooting planets and the planet looks small and you want to make it bigger, you either need a telescope that's got longer focal length or you need to put an extender in there and increase the focal length automatically. That's what we're doing with an extender. It's not really something you would use on deep sky photography because you're increasing that F ratio again. And now your exposures have to be longer because now you have the F ratio is increasing. Now, the other side of that conversation is the reducer. The reducer decreases the F ratio by reducing the focal length of the telescope. So we have our incoming light. Here's our focus point way over here. In our focuser, we then pop in our reducer. Reducers are more than one element of glass, by the way. They're usually fairly complex and they have multiple elements in there. What a reducer does is it catches the light cone inside the telescope and then refocuses that to a closer position, um, therefore reducing the focal length of the instrument. Now, we had one of those up earlier, this guy right here. This is a, a EvoStar 150 reducer for our EvoStar 150DX. It's a 0.77X reducer. It drops it from F8 to F6.2, as you can see right there. Now, if we do that, if we pop one of these on, uh, let me do our go back to our app here. When you have an EvoStar uh, 150DX and you pop this reducer on, it's got a 0.77x reduction factor, therefore dropping the telescope to f6.2. That increases by that increase because the f ratio has been changed from f8 to f6.2 with this reducer you're now getting 70% more light in the same amount of time. So you're also increasing your field of view as well. That's what a reducer will also do. So reducers are going to decrease the F ratio, therefore brighten the image photographically because we have that faster F ratio. It reduces the exposure time by whatever the factor is. Um, it usually will list it. Most Skywatcher reducers, for example, are 0.85x for a lot of our smaller refractors. Um, and then our Esprit reducers, they're like 0.77. Um, most of these are also flatteners because they're correcting. They're not only reducing, but they're correcting any field curvature, which can happen when you reduce and make a faster optic. <clears throat> so... This decreases the F ratio, brightens the image. You can get more done in less time on the same telescope, which is very nice. Uh, reduces your exposure time, which means you're less taxing on the mount and your guiding. 
reduces the image scale by decreasing the focal length. So this is something that you want to pay attention to because this is a great way where if you need to get a bigger chunk of sky, instead of going and buying like a $5,000 full frame camera, you can use your crop sensor camera and get yourself a reducer and you get the same field of view and it's a little bit more snappy because that focal length's been changed. The light cone does become steeper. That's not generally a big deal for most of this stuff because we're still talking like F5, F6, somewhere in there. Um, so most filters are going to be fine, but it's going to be a little bit more critical and harder on your focuser. Um, and the one thing about reducers as a, paired, as a compared to an extender, an extender is generally like a Barlow lens. It's something you buy, you slide into the back of the focuser, tighten down, and you're done reducers they are also very universal you can use them on pretty much any telescope reducers on the other hand are generally very specific to the instrument that they're being used on because they're generally matching up with whatever the focal length of the parent telescope is so there are general use reducers like the star Arizona apex um, but they do have a list of back focuses on that when you read the manual for their reducer because it is universal your back focus is going to change depending on the focal length of the parent telescope. So a universal reducer has a window of what it can work with, where a matched reducer probably is also matched to the prescription of the telescope. So it's going to get a little bit better performance if you buy the matched one, but it might not give you the reduction factor that you're looking for. So you need to pay attention to what you're looking for. Like a star Arizona apex is 0.65 X. That's crazy reduction. That's very fast for that. Most reducers are 0.7 or 0.8 somewhere in there. Um, but you can easily get a reducer for most telescopes. Newtonians are a little bit harder. Um, star Arizona does make the nexus. And the one thing you also have to remember when you are reducing the focal length of an instrument, that means your image circle or the illuminated circle is going to be smaller than the native uh, focal length is. So like the Esprit 150, just as an example, is a 43 millimeter image circle. It can handle full frame, um, probably with very little vignetting. When we put our reducer on it, it can still handle full frame, but the vignetting is a lot worse. So you have to take better flats. Um, at that point. So when you build a reducer, the compromise there is your, your illuminated field is going to be smaller than it would be at native focal length. You're getting the speed, you're getting an increased field of view because we're reducing the F ratio there. Those are the advantage, but the compromise comes by reducing the amount of illumination that we have with our reducer. Um, so that's pretty much what we've been talking about here. So basically F ratios are just telling you how optically fast the telescope is. The smaller the number, the faster, the bigger the number, the slower it is. Regardless of focal length, the speed is the same. So if you have a one meter telescope, a 40 inch telescope, that's F4. And you have an eight inch, that's F4. You can get the exact same data in the same amount of time just one's bigger but they're both f4 it's kind of cool um, even though you have a 40 inch versus an 8 inch it's still f4 
Um, but that's pretty much it with F ratio. So faster is going to be easier on your mount and less guiding, less demanding of your mounting system. Longer is going to require longer exposures to get the same amount. Um, it's going to be more taxing on your mount because you're going to have to guide and deal with longer exposures at that point. So hopefully that was helpful. Um, we actually blew through this a little bit faster than I thought, but um, that's understanding F ratios. Uh, hopefully you enjoyed that. If you have any questions, uh, be, you can always email us for clarity. I know usually we're live and we can answer any questions that you guys have, and we'll try our best to actually get back on any of these. But that's understanding F ratios. Hopefully that was helpful for some of you out there. Um, but that's it for this week. Uh, like I said, next week uh, we will be at Neef and Neak. Or I'm sorry, we're at Neef right now. That's why this is actually being aired right now. Because we're not in the office to do it. Next week we're going to be doing our highlights video. That is going to be a pre-recorded assembled video. Um, because we're busy there. Uh, but for those of you who will be at Neef this weekend, uh, come by and say hi. We'll be happy to talk to you and show you the cool stuff that we've brought to Neef. Um, other than that, everybody, thank you so much for joining us today. If you like what you see here on the Skywatcher What's Up webcast, please go ahead and subscribe. Leave a like on a video. Let's us know we're doing a good job. Um, if you have an idea for a future episode, email us at info at skywatchusa.com. Title it What's Up, and we'll get that in the queue and see what we can do for that. Um, once again, thank you so much for watching everyone. I really appreciate it. We all do. And, um, like I said, if you're here at Neef this weekend, please stop by and say hi. Um, other than that, please have a safe weekend. Go out and do some observing and clear skies to all of you. Take care, everyone. See ya. Bye.